0: Hello, and welcome back to Love at First Screening, the show where I, rom com enthusiast Madison, introduce my friend, co host, and resident genre skeptic Chelsea. That's me. To all the feel good, cliche, romantic,
1: questionable.
0: Hilarious,
1: occasionally humorous
0: films she's never wanted to watch. Anyway, this week we're watching Never Been Kissed. Are you so excited for this one?
1: Let's do it. Let's get into it.
0: Perfect. Okay, so Never Been Kissed is a film that came out in 1999. Apparently it was also the title for an episode of Glee. So when looking it up, uh, Wikipedia was like, do you want the Glee episode? I was like, no, I don't. Thank you, though. So it's a 1999 American rom-com featuring our beloved Drew Barrymore, played across from Michael Varton, who I think I've only ever seen in one other movie, Monster-in-Law, because I'm a huge Jane Fonda fan. It was directed by uh, Raja Gosnell, and he is known for absolute hits such as Home Alone 3, and Beverly Hills Chihuahua, the live-action weird Smurf movie.
1: I'm I'm sorry, wait, the live-action Smurf movie?
0: Yeah, you know the one, it came out in, like, 2011, and it was, like, a combo of live-action and computer-animated.
1: No, I...
0: What? <laughs> no, Neil Patrick Harris was in it. Uh, Hank Azaria played the bad guy. I I
1: you're making this up.
0: No, it is nightmare fuel though. It is truly disturbing. I'll you know what, maybe we'll watch that next and just abandon the theme and just go with movies that will haunt Chelsea forever.
1: I'd I'm honestly at a loss for words. <laughs>
0: should be. It's truly terrible. But anyway, so this film features young Drew Barrymore as an up-and-coming, really dowdy-looking copy editor for the Chicago Sun-Times. She's never had a real relationship. Uh, She's never been kissed, which we know is just the mark of, I don't know, adulthood awakening clearly you can't live if you haven't been kissed according to this but she gets assigned a hit feature piece where she has to go undercover in a high school to figure out what's hip with the kids because we'll never know and she starts at this high school she's absolutely miserable reverts back to her old geek persona of josie Grossy. falls in love with a teacher her english teacher because honestly Who else would it be? A physics teacher? No. Unheard of. Show me a sexy physics teacher. I'm sorry to any physics teachers out there, but they don't exist. And she also uh, has to join the popular clique. She has to become prom queen. All of this stuff leading up to the big reveal. That surprise, she's an undercover reporter and she stands on a baseball field and gets her first kiss from her English teacher so uh also uh grossly enough James Franco makes an appearance that was unnecessary David Arquette plays a really gross character as her brother but we'll dive into all of this so just know that this was made by the same man who directed Beverly Hills Chihuahua so now I get to guess Chelsea if you liked this movie And I can say with my whole chest that you hated this movie.
1: You know, Madison, I actually have to hand it to you. Never in a million years would I have imagined that you found a movie I hated more than You've Got Mail.
0: (laughs) Yes, I did it.
1: But here we are.
0: Break down your initial impressions if you have... Uh, An alternative film description, perhaps. Just anything. Give it all to me. I have to know.
1: Okay, so I did write a little bit, a little something. Second chances are hard to come by. But a 25 year old journalist gets another shot at high school with her first undercover assignment. As she enters the teen trenches, this not so fashionable former brainiac is bound to turn a few heads, and not in the sexy way. Unless it's the gaze of the boundary-crossing English teacher. With some help from her existentially lost 23-year-old brother, the hunk and star athlete in high school, she transforms from Ick Girl to It Girl just in time to <laughs> blow her cover at the prom.
0: That was so good. It's so accurate. I love the Ick Girl to It Girl. That was dynamite. Thank
1: you. Someone hire me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Someone please hire you know what why is IMDB not hiring you?
1: I write I guarantee you I could write better descriptions. And they're owned by Amazon, so honestly they they have the money.
0: Oh god, don't they?
1: This was like watching a crime from 30 years ago and not being able to do anything about it. <laughs> I just, I need to stop this, but I can't. Like, there's literally nothing I can do. I was wanting to pull my hair out. I was angry. I was angry. Yes, this was another <laughs> film where I felt so much anger watching it. I, I, yeah
0: let's start at the top we're introduced to drew barrymore's character and she very much is portrayed as the dowdy know-it-all copy editor where everyone is coming to her with all the questions and she's so precise and she's constantly critiquing everybody's speech which i haven't actually met someone in real life who's a decent person like drew barrymore is who does that i don't know if i want to call her decent in this movie though This might actually be the worst Drew Barrymore film that I've watched, and I have childhood trauma about E.T. that we've discussed previously. It's rough. but Okay, so getting into it, what were your initial impressions of the characters themselves? You have, uh, you know, the dowdy copy editor, the slutty writer, I guess. I I don't really know what... uh, God, what's her name?
1: Molly Shannon. Yes. When you have a character that is... We'll say inexperienced when it comes to romance, love, maybe sex, unclear, right? You always have to have the sidekick or best friend that is just and like really puts herself out there. And I don't want that to sound judgy, but like this is it's a caricature that I've seen over and over again. And you're meant to laugh at them. I, I know. I, very rarely do I ever feel like this character is like empowered by their sexuality. It always feels like the butt of the joke, and it's just in contrast to the more either the prude character or or the character that's just not uh, sexually experienced. Uh, we'll say. So anyway, I, yeah, my initial impression, I was like, okay, like, these are characters I've definitely seen before. Um, they're not anything new. Uh, and then you have, like, the office, I, I don't know who he is, the editor guy with that I've seen in another movie, but I, I can't think of who he is.
0: John C. Riley.
1: Yeah. So he, it's basically like, I know he makes a comment at one point, like, he was going to fire her or he has fired her for inter or I'm sorry, intra office. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get it right. Intra office fraternization. And yet like, it's so clear that he's into her, which, okay, look, let's be real. This, this person exists uh, and let's just get rid of the, get rid of the 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 temptress instead of like i don't know controlling my own appendages um but i digress so (laughs) yeah those were my initial react i was okay the only thing coming out at the top the only thing that i felt a genuine moment of joy about was seeing the just gem that is Octavia Spencer she plays a nothing role she's just this office woman named Cynthia and I had to look up her name because I definitely missed it if they said it at all I'm sure they said it but I missed it in the film uh so yeah but that my only I was just like oh because you know sometimes it's fun to see people the things the random stuff that they were in that like people will have forgotten they're in because they play such a small role um but yeah only time I like was genuinely Excited, and it really had nothing to do with the movie. It was just seeing Octavia Spencer's face made me happy.
0: I completely understand that. Now, watching this back, it had been so. I mean, the last time I watched this one, I was probably 12 or 13. So it's been well over a decade now. And I think this is the kind of movie that you can watch when you're 12 or 13, and it's fine. Like, I was telling, I told both of my sisters that we were doing this one. And they said, oh, what a good one. And all I could think was, bitch, you have not seen it in a very long time, if that is your reaction.
1: Yeah, I definitely can see the appeal to a certain extent for a younger audience. And I mean that both in the age of the viewer, but also in the age of social consciousness. Um, I think Mm -hmm. this was, what, 99 I also okay my okay so I want to get this out of the way I think that probably the most common criticism of this film I would imagine is it's just so unrealistic because what 25 year old would be allowed to enter a high school and not only that because we'll talk about her brother who just enrolls himself right (laughs) um okay and look, yes, it's unrealistic, but I think that in a lot of films, we 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 suspend a certain amount of disbelief in order to immerse ourselves in it. And I might have been able to forgive this film the ridiculousness of this plot had there not been so many at the kind and inappropriate, and at the not so kind and illegal activity happening uh, on screen that just felt icky and horrible and like I said you're just watching a crime or a series of crimes take place and you can't do anything about it. There's no one you can tell. Um so yeah, so I know that the film is unrealistic. Um but I I think that we have to discuss uh, a lot of the particulars. I think it would do us a disservice to just say that it's unrealistic and move on. Um so anyway, I just want to get that out of the way. And and also, too, I, I just want to say uh, as a note, I don't necessarily think that just because something is unrealistic doesn't mean that it... Not all bad films are unrealistic and not all unrealistic films are bad, right? So I, I don't think that that's the Achilles heel of this story. <laughs> I think it's a lot of the choices that they made along the way.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So... I think that there are moments where I know that they were going for comedy. So just to start, you know, you have this character who's very frumpy and very mousy. And then she gets thrown this undercover role at the will of this guy who looks like he should just be out on a golf course. Who's randomly, you know, firing people and that sort of thing. So she gets thrown this role and then the people who actually know her, are like, are you sure that you can do this? This is going to be a lot. And she's like, you don't believe in me. And then she totally, you know, fucks it up as she goes along. But I know that it was supposed to be comedic to have her take the absolute beater car that her brother has and that fell flat for me and the god awful white outfit spilling the chocolate milk on it i know that all of these things were points of what was supposed to come across as physical comedy and instead they just made me feel so much secondhand embarrassment that it wasn't funny and i guess it's because it was it's posed at the expense of someone who already is assumably pitiful. And so it's really hard to find joy in humor like that when you just feel genuinely bad for the person that it's happening to.
1: Yeah. Well, there were all okay, so like I one of the really early scenes of her in the high school that like really rubbed me the wrong way was, you know, she's late getting into class and I think it's supposed to be like the history classroom or something. And first of all you know I, I it's honestly not almost not worth mentioning but like it's her first day in what world is a teacher going to be like you've never been here before like a teacher is going to have grace for somebody that is lost on their first day and would not subject them to any sort of public humiliation uh because of they were tardy but she's like and i and i understand that it's supposed to be a joke but here's the thing the joke's just not funny in fact it's offensive um I'm like we you you know she puts her in this giant sombrero which is bad because like literally you're 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 encouraging the whole point of this is you're putting her and if it wasn't a sombrero you're still putting someone in a position to be publicly humiliated like high school's hard enough being young is hard enough right but making it a sombrero is you're literally giving license for these young people who don't have a lot of experience. Like, they're in Chicago, okay? They don't have a lot of experience with other cultures. You know what I mean? Like, they're a- apart from whatever they would have experienced in, in their own in their own short lives. They are 17, 16, 17. And you're giving them license to laugh at and mock another culture as it and that's a punishment. I was just like, I cannot believe what I'm witnessing. <laughs> um yeah.
0: and it's it was bad enough to put her on blast in that way with all of those connotations. But then at that point to be like, all right, now tell us about yourself. Now that I've publicly shamed you to the rest of the class, now actually introduce yourself because I haven't given you the opportunity to even state why you're here when you are.
1: Yeah. And like I am Okay, so fine. We're gonna have a film where someone who is twenty-five and working for a big city newspaper. We're gonna have them go undercover at high school. First of all, go find the story in this high school. Obviously, that that part uh, is maddening. Like, and I know that's supposed to probably speak to the just the incompetence of the guy heading up this newspaper. But, like, it's just a bad story idea, but fine. All right, so that's what we're doing. There's, like, no prep work for her. Like, she's supposed to be undercover. Somebody going undercover needs an alias. They need, like, you can't, she, like, it's literally this film is just like, oh, she just walked into the school and signed herself up for classes. That's not how that works and even if that was how it worked there are other facets of being undercover of building a cover that would need to be addressed and also I think they missed out on a lot of fun opportunities by not doing that like we could have had the one thing that, honestly, I think that I would have liked this movie more, even if they you changed nothing else about it, if they had added a makeover slash let's try on clothes in a store montage, I eat that shit up, okay? Those are fun. It doesn't matter what movie they're in, they're fun. And I think that would have provided a good opportunity for her to, like, try different things out. She's not been in high school for eight years, and she's wasn't cool then, you know, and she's not, certainly not now. She's not the it girl of the office either. So if you're trusting her to get the stories, like like she's just going in so, so unprepared. And I also feel like it's a disservice to her character because she is someone who prepares. Like she is a good student. So really, she should be studying. Like somebody in the office, they should have a teen daughter that she asks questions you know what i mean like i feel like there were opportunities to make comedy but also to help enrich these characters and they just it's just not there like it's it's just so (laughs)
0: half-assed absolutely no and i think the part about the montage that to me makes the most sense of like adding that is here's what you do you you know find a teenage girl that someone in the office knows have them go on like a shopping montage you know in a mall where she's trying on all these clothes and have her look you know really uncomfortable and be like really this is what you guys are wearing now like oh god what is a crop top that sort of thing And you hone into that and you actually put her in the correct clothing to fit in and then have her still fall in with the nerd group because that's who she is. And so don't have her automatically isolated because of Molly Shannon's poor prank is the only way I can chalk that up to that horrible feather monstrosity, whatever the fuck that was. She looked like a deranged chicken, but basically set her up for success. And then have her still bung it up because she just doesn't get it. She doesn't get the in the in crowd. She doesn't get the cool kids, the, you know, hot scene. She's not going to end up going and doing drugs in whatever parking lot or whatever that was, um, because that's not her. And that would have made the story so much more valuable and so much more funny. You know, have, like you said, have her look so uncomfortable with this teenager, you know, teaching her the lingo and her being like, what the fuck is Rufus. You know just having these moments where she as an adult gets to step back into that teenage lens and be like holy shit this really was as awful as I remember. And instead it became this weird like opportunity for her to reclaim her shitty teenagehood by abandoning everything that she actually liked. Like you know the friends that she made and stuff like that. And have her end up hating it anyway. And I get the whole arc of she gets to see that being popular wasn't, you know, important after all because it's the people. And, and she has the adult hindsight 2020 lens to realize that high school's just fucking terrible no matter which way you cut it. If you peak or if you don't, it doesn't matter. Because it just sucked because it's there's this song that just came out by Isabel Pless and I think she refers in it. She refers to high school as a first rate depression cesspool. (laughs) And yeah, this movie was a first rate depression cesspool, but I digress. So that's I completely agree. I think that had they done that, it would have been a lot stronger. But I feel the need. I have to know. Go to the English teacher because here's the thing. They paint him as like a really nice guy, right? But it's so being, (laughs) being the age that I'm assuming, you know, he's probably around, she's around, you know, he might be a little bit older. That's so gross. Like that's a child, sir. Okay.
1: I, I hate this on multiple levels, right? Okay. So let's talk the surface level, what we're watching. He, yeah, she's 25, sure, but he's under the impression that she's 17, so he should not be engaging in any kind of relationship or or activities that fall outside of what a student teacher relationship uh, are, and so you have him sitting oddly intimately with her on a park bench, and sure, they're talking about her going to, like, Dartmouth or whatever college it was. But the their posture is sus, and specifically his posture is suspect. Then you have him, and I'll come back to the bar scene because I have some other issues with that. But you have him jumping on the Ferris wheel with her. I think it's supposed to be played off like, oh, she's alone and she's being humiliated. But that is literally not his place. It's ju- it's just not. She's not, if she was a child, it would be different, but like a 10 year old, you know what I mean? That is a different look than a 17. That's just, mm -mm, it's not okay. And then, okay, that wasn't even at school, but then the prom, he straight up asks her to dance. That is, Mm -hmm. and also, also, he's in a tux. The other chaperone is in like what she would wear to like teach her class. So I'm so confused it's not like the chaperone, like clearly the chaperones haven't been asked to wear black tie. He's just in a tux because it, honestly, that feels premeditated. Like he was always going to ask her to dance. Okay, so that's the that's the in the film part. Okay, so we have that. He thinks she's 17 and yet engages in behavior that's just inappropriate. Then in the film too, they basically decide like, oh, this is our story. He's being inappropriate. And of course, Drew Barrymore is like, yeah, but I'm not actually... Yeah, Drew Barrymore, but also he thinks you're 17. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I still have a lot of questions. And so then they're going to basically... It, it It's such... It's so muddy because it, there's not actually a crime being committed. But it feels like...
0: Well, you just have to take it one step further. You have to take it one step further and then you get the gross crime. And I was thinking about it, okay? Because... Picture me this. You have scenes where he realizes that she's a great student, clearly an avid reader, and he is like, wow, you're really freaking good at English. Here's some books for you to read. Here's this college syllabus I found read through this. Do you want to do like some extra credit? So do you want to start a club about English? You know, something that you would normally see teachers do with incredibly high achieving students. And you have that. And then let's say you have like a Mulan moment, right? Like he doesn't engage with her like that at all, you know, inappropriately at all. And then she outs herself at prom, and he's like, "What?" And then two months later, which I mean, I guess would kind of undermine the whole end of it of him sort of still being the story, but just trying to turn it on its head, have her write a great story not about him and not about her never being kissed, but about the real grittiness of high school and how it's just a depression cesspool. Do that and then have her get all of this newfound confidence and then reach out to him and be like, hey man, let me on you and be like, surprise, I'm a 25 year old. What do you think? Like we had a really good connection and feel it out from there. I feel like that's almost vaguely redeemable.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm glad you bring that up. I I I'm gonna talk about that later when I uh reveal my fixes for this film. But I um but the okay the other piece of this is so I've talked about like what's in the film and like he thinks she's 17. But my, the other thing that left a really bad taste in my mouth is because there are time and time again there are depictions of relationships with age discrepancy. But it's not just an age discrepancy. The other piece of this is even if even if this was at the collegiate level, he's her teacher. And so it's still an inappropriate relationship. We have the added layer of a 17-year-old, that's illegal. Um, that's, yeah. But the reason this left a bad taste in my mouth also is because it almost felt like, well, see, like, women lie. I don't know. It, I. Ugh, but yeah. also, and not ju- not just that, but there are so many instances in which these types of relationships are romanticized by the media and you know you talked about the fact that the last time you watched this or the first time that you watched this you were young and you really liked this and then you walk away with this false idea that and like I understand that in the context of this film the audience knows that she's 25 but his behavior is not ever questioned except for mm-hmm. when her peers step in to say this is your story he's being inappropriate but at that point she has to be like but I'm not actually 17 and so the fact that he he from his perspective he is doing all of this uh with a 17 year old is like just completely negated I I don't feel as if I'm articulating this to the best of my ability but my point is that this whole situation it was just Gross! (laughs) Gross! <laughs> I don't like yeah. it,
0: and I don't know how much space. I, I, here's the thing. I don't think that any degree of space and time would remedy that. Because I remember when I, yeah, I had just graduated, and found out that a history teacher that I never had, um, both of my sisters ended up having him at some point. I always just. Thought he was notoriously skeevy. He was the type of guy who, if you had big boobs and you had, like, print across your shirt, he would read it to you. As if to pretend like he was, you know, making reference to your shirt when really he was just staring at your tits. I found out that he was dating an ex-student that was two years Yeah, two years older than me because she was a year younger than my sister. I just thought that was so gross because I had just finished. So she was out, you know, two, maybe three years out of high school and is dating her old, gross, starting-to-bald, lanky history teacher. And I, I couldn't wrap my head around it because, yeah, sure, okay, she's out of school and everything, But you still had that power dynamic that doesn't just magically absolve itself. I don't know, especially at that age, especially at high school age. It's so gross. And there's you cannot just throw a hot seemingly nice actor playing the typically most well-loved teacher, you know, being the English teacher and make it okay. It's weird. On that note, though, I do want to transition to heavyweight champion David Arquette. I was asked by a fellow listener that we uh, mentioned that I mentioned specifically that he is a former professional wrestler and not acknowledge that he is also an actor, only acknowledging his wrestler side.
1: I had no idea. Wait, what? He was actually a wrestler?
0: Yeah, no. He was actually, yeah, a former weight heavy, a uh, former heavyweight champion. He won, I'm sorry, I have to pull up his Wikipedia here. He is best remembered for his 2000 stint in the World Championship Wrestling where he won the WCW World Heavyweight Championship and headlined the Slambury Pay-Per-View event. I think we probably knew him um before this in uh, he was in Buffy, apparently. I can't remember who he played. Oh, he was in the movie. That's why I can't remember who. The okay, hell he was I was in Buffy.
1: like, he was not in the TV show.
0: No, but he was in the nineteen ninety two. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I see it on here that he was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I was like, excuse me, I've seen all the seasons, even the one that I hated. So
1: you've seen all the seasons. I've seen all the seasons multiple times, and I was having a brief crisis just then. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. He- not in that
0: he's when? In buffy. I've seen I could quote you, and really, you could quote me tra- chapter and verse, so, um, but yeah, no, his character in this, I can't decide if I hate his character more or the English teacher's character more because I have to pull up my notes uh on my phone that I took while watching this because I took note of some interesting quotes that came out of his mouth we've got some underage hotties on our hands no i don't think i have to say anything else about that
1: i don't really think you do either you can have a character that says that like you can have a character that says that but you can't have a character that says that as a joke the ramifications of that yeah that's not oh my god
0: you don't want to paint him as someone that you're trying to like at the end of it. Because, no. so, you can't paint him as anyone likable. Because what they should have done is they should have, and again, still problematic, but they should have just had him come in and be the cool guy who helps Josie become cool. That's fine, I guess. The way he does it is kind of gross. We'll get into that. But... To resurrect his dead baseball career, right? Like, get him out of the tiki post. I'm actually okay with this. I don't care. If he's going back to high school to try to relive some glory to get into minor league baseball, I could give a fuck. But when you have him, like, actively entertaining the attention of a 16-year-old... The fact that this 16-year-old was like, I want to do it with you for the first time ever. A 16-year-old doesn't just decide that with someone that they've only, like, talked to and stood next to. Which you know means that they're, like, making out. And that's a 23-year-old man with a 16-year-old girl. Ew!
1: Yeah. It's so gross. That's what I'm talking about. This this film was just irresponsible in its approach to these dynamics. I think there was maybe a world in which you have these situations, but they were more careful about their choices.
0: And also just the the coleslaw scene. Is that really what it takes for guys to be considered cool? Yeah, I don't know. Anything
1: that was like, I could tell it was a joke. I think my, I just felt so tired and ang- like, I was angry and then I was tired and so anything that maybe I would have laughed at I just was like I just didn't have the energy to. Also we what we didn't talk about these are children these are okay and they decide that they're going to surveil them through a camera on her blouse. She's going into the girls restroom. She's going into I mean probably like gym class.
0: I was about to say, there are scenes where she's absolutely sucking wind in gym class. You think that she's not going into a locker room?
1: Everybody's at the office watching these. And I understand that in the film, we're supposed to be laughing at her just failing to be a teenager because, or more specifically, failing to be a a cool teenager. The fact that there's these men watching I know one of them makes a comment at some point about some one of the the three Barbie girls. I have issues with
0: the surveilling of children.
1: Yeah, the surveilling of children i I have a I have a real problem with it.
0: I understand that. I think too <laughs> just now I feel like I'm just nitpicking it to the finer points, but by God, if that's not what we're here to do, I don't know why we're here. The scene where she's at the bar. And she sits down on that couch and they hand her, what I can only assume based on the result, is a weed cake. I have never been in a situation where someone has handed me an edible and did not say, Hey, this is an edible. Do I run in crowds of degenerates? Because I'm pretty sure that if someone sat down and was like, "Oh, this is a special cake for you," one, why are we accepting food from strangers in the middle of a bar? Um, but two, if someone's telling me that anything is special, best bet this bitch is gonna be like, "Yeah, this is drugged."
1: I don't, I don't want to play devil's advocate for this movie, but I will say that there is a similar scene in uh, "The Perks of Being a Wallflower." where Charlie mm. takes a brownie. Now, it's a it's a different context. He's at a party with, like, a house party with people. He's not at a bar. I don't even, do these people go to the high school? Like, I'm not really sure who these people are. So, uh, like, they could be students. Uh, that's unclear to me. They're in a more public place. Like, there aren't just students. So, it's a little bit different. I can see that, like, the comedy of, like, oh, the naive person is just so doesn't understand that they're going to take drugs. And that can be funny. But again, I say I'm so exhausted with the film at this point that like these th- these things, they're just not hitting. And, and, and honestly, yeah. I'm not saying that these are the most exciting jokes anyway. Any energy that I have is just, well, I don't have any energy at this point. So the thing I wanted to talk about at the bar is when he introduces his girlfriend I have questions. I understand that this is like a a concert bar venue thing. I I get that like there are a bunch of people here. I'm a little disturbed that he seems not at least somewhat uncomfortable that his students are there. Yeah. Is this the hot Friday night spot? Is he here all the time? Now I have more questions about this guy's ethics, but okay. But the problem I have with the introduction of his girlfriend is it's very clear as this is a rom-com that we're supposed to not like his girlfriend just because she is a business lady and he is clearly like, he's the cool teacher guy who hits a hacky sack on a hockey stick and like, he's too (laughs) immature. He's a cool guy and he's just down to earth and she's like an uptight businesswoman who lives in a big city and blah, blah, blah. A is unnecessary. We have bigger fish to fry. This man is falling in love with a 17 year old, okay? So it really irked me that the only reason you're introduced to this woman just to be like, oh, well, he has more in common with Drew Barrymore. Oh, you mean like they both attend, they go to the same building every day? (laughs) Is that what you mean? Yeah. I understand that in the context of that they are both adults who have an appreciation for literature, I, I get what they have in common. But the context in which they meet each other And get to know each other makes that just... And I have a real problem with forbidden love in this way Mm -hmm. because... Yeah. Here's the thing. People love to make... People like forbidden love. But the thing is is that in a lot of storylines, the obstacles that they've placed between two people are just completely imaginary. Like... If they cross lines, there's not going to be any actual consequences. And then if there are actual lines there, like there sort of are here, and obviously it's a little bit complicated because of the specifics of the situation, they're probably in place for a reason. Forbidden love between who is ostensibly a 17-year-old and probably a 30-year-old. Yeah, that just shouldn't happen. And these this is usually a pick like a sore spot for me with heterosexual romances, because it's like this is like clearly it's like, oh, well, he has a girlfriend, but she's better. Like, I don't know. It just feels like you're introducing a woman just to make us hate her. And I don't appreciate that. And also bigger, bigger fish to fry. I don't I don't have time for this. I hated this the only other reason that she's there is so that he can call it back when they're on the fair, the just so appropriate Ferris wheel ride together. And he's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I broke up. Like, why are you talking to her about your romantic issues? That's not uh, appropriate. And then he's like, I shouldn't be talking to you. Yeah. No shit, dude, but you shouldn't have said it at all. (laughs) Like,
0: Well, not only that, so I want to draw more attention to what he said in that scene. Because essentially what he said was, like, he was planning on moving to New York to be with his girlfriend that he's been with for five years. And he's like, I know that basically I should grow up. Yeah, dude, if you're over here casually putting on moves to... Uh, presumably 17 year old. And I get, again, I get that the audience has insight to know that she's 25.
1: But he doesn't. That That is the important piece of this puzzle. He doesn't know that she's 25. He thinks she's 17. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think all the way around, I mean, because that's really what we're playing with this whole time. You know, we have a, I think what we really have too is we have a dramatized version of the relationship in a um, sort of turned on its head way of Rob and the gymnast who I, I'm not going to bother to learn her name. That's a running theme with me. I'm not going to bother to learn the names of anyone. You you have that and everyone knows that's gross and icky, right? He's twenty-three, she's sixteen, that's icky. It's a weird foil to the romance that they're trying to have us root for. And then again we just have to throw in just a little extra forbidden romance between Molly Shannon and John Riley it's just all altogether there's not a single representation of romance that you want to root for that you feel
1: like good about rooting for
0: yeah because john c Riley is still molly shannon's boss
1: like you have to do a lot of mental gymnastics in order to root for these people like i understand the narrative is setting it up that i'm supposed to want to root for these people but i have a lot of problems with all of these relationships
0: also can someone please color match Drew Barrymore in this film. She looked so pasty the entire film. And she is not that pasty in real life. They just kept putting her in weird pastels and also the little ugly cardigans they kept putting her in. Stop that. I know it was 1999. Stop that.
1: Also, why does her haircut make her look like Shirley Temple?
0: It really does!
1: Like, I... Here's the thing. I don't think that that length was unflattering on Drew Barrymore, but every way they chose to style it was not doing her any favors.
0: And it almost adds to the infantilization of her throughout the film. Like the little cardigan. Yeah, no, fuck. All the style choices really in this made her look... I mean, I get the point is that she looks... She's supposed to look much younger, but it just adds to the ick factor yeah yeah i mean i think that that essentially just breaks it down really well also can we just talk about how not even the most ass kissing brown nosing english student would choose to dress up as Rosalind and orlando get real no no teenager is gonna read shakespeare's as you like it and be like you know what prom okay
1: the one thing i'll give this universe is that i might have gone to my prom if it had been a costume party instead of let's wear fancy formal wear i will say i wish that that had been the case
0: i went to my prom i'm pretty sure that our prom was a masquerade and it was actually really fun because people some people went all out, and that was nice. I was one of those bitches that went all out, and it was fun.
1: My junior prom, I went to an All-American Rejects concert. And nice. my senior prom, I played photographer for my friends that were going to prom, and then we all had a sleepover at my friend's house. And so I and a, like one or two other people that didn't go to the prom went there afterward and just waited for them to come back. I had no interest in... I went to one high school dance. I went to Homecoming And I was there for fifteen minutes and wanted to leave, but I was carpooling with someone, so I couldn't.
0: My junior homecoming, I went to uh, a zombie convention, Walker Stalker Con. I went to a zombie convention instead, so that was fun. No, I agree. I here's the thing. Here's one thing that rom coms like this do really frickin' well, and that is throwing an unrealistic prom that people would actually want to attend. Yeah. And I will say that the one moment that I did kind of want to laugh, but more so in a way of it would be a really good scene in a teen movie like Mean Girls was like the dog food scene where all the bitchy girls got theirs.
1: How many people does it take to open a can of dog food? OK, I will say that's pretty funny because it, it, it first of all, the way they're positioned, they look like the cartoon Grinch. Like, with his long 10-inch oh yes. fingers trying to grasp. Okay, but there's also, like, five of them trying to open this. And, like, first of all, you're drawing so much attention to yourself. It's ridiculous. Okay, so I'll give this movie that. I'll give them the... That was comical. And had I not been so exhausted, I probably would have laughed at that.
0: I think I think this is a good point to transition into the rom-com criteria.
1: Okay. Do they date? That's the first one. Do we have courtship? I feel like technically sure. Like I see the beats of it, but I'm uncomfortable with it. But I, I guess that's that. So it meets the criteria. I just don't like it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess like the Ferris wheel scene, sort of the awkward run in at what I'm just going to call the bronze. We're, we'll keep a, bu- a Buffy theme. Yeah, the awkward run-in at the bronze, I guess, could kind of be like a prelude to courting. I don't even know. I don't know because the only like real interaction that we see them having outside of a school context, I mean, thankfully, fuck, other than seeing them exchange briefly at the club was the Ferris wheel. So I'm going to give this like a half a point towards that sort of i guess the second category did we laugh
1: i mean obviously the answer to that is no but i feel like i can see the setups for jokes like i could see the jokes they were making whether or not i i mean do you this feels almost philosophical to be like Do you have to find it funny for it to qualify as a comedy? But I don't know.
0: So, okay, not to get to whatever. But in my opinion, comedy is formed with a creation and resolution of tension in a way that, you know, would incite somebody to laugh. You know, the tension that's created usually doesn't have any real consequence and the resolution is unexpected, uh, typically or, uh, surreal in some way. So I don't, I think that my issue with this is the issue that I have with some different types of comedy, like I, I don't want to ruin our viewership, but sort of what an issue is why I don't like The Office is that the, creation of that tension at the expense of somebody who is already seen as, you know, pitiful or in a an inferior position to whoever is making the joke. If some if you're punching down basically. I don't find that funny. I think it's a really really weak form of humor. That being said, I guess because there is technically that creation of tension and a resolution in a ridiculous manner, sure. There is comedy here. It's just shit. Yeah. (laughs) So we'll give it that. We'll throw another half point to it. Does love conquer the plot in this Chelsea? Number three, does love conquer?
1: (sighs) Okay, if we get rid of the romance between her and this teacher... You don't have the big moment on the pitching mound at the end. And I don't think that we can call it a romantic comedy if you don't have that that element of it. Yeah. So while I think that this movie... Like, I think the movie would change in a significant way. Maybe she still writes this article. Then it becomes a kind of post-high school teen movie. I think the genre changes. Like I yeah. I you know what I mean like I drastically like I I don't know that this film works the same way.
0: It would be like a weird retrospective coming of age. Yeah. It also it to me it kind of harkens back when we were talking about music and lyrics with the romance being central to the plot in that it wasn't. And so would you really consider it a romantic movie? The quote-unquote romance of this movie really does feel kind of shoehorned in the resolution at the end because I don't think that the average viewer and maybe I don't know maybe I'm just over speaking for the average viewer I don't think that they're going to see this coming the result of what she writes about having never been kissed because I'll be honest in my rewatch i think it's more so hinting at the idea i know that there was like the part in the beginning where she kind of covers herself and she's like oh you know like a really really good kiss i think if you want to take that at face value you could actually take that and be like maybe she had like a shitty like spin the bottle kiss or something like that and maybe what they're alluding to more deeply is that she's never had sex um, which awfully presumpt, you know, presumptive that they that she wants to in the first place because asexuality yeah. exists. Um, I don't know. I guess you just don't anticipate the climax of everything being that she's going to admit that she's never been that she's twenty five years old. She's never been kissed because it doesn't really go in well with the undercover element of it all, other than the fact to say that she made it through high school without that experience.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's very clumsily put together. This whole film is very clumsily put together. I So, I don't know. I'm struggling with this question because, I don't know, I feel like you take that out and I feel like it would have a different ending, obviously, I think. So, I, I don't know. I guess, like, I'm looking back at music and lyrics and our determination that the romance was, like, not a key element of the story is that, really nothing else would change. Like you could have had all the same scenes. It's just that their interactions with each other wouldn't, would have not been romantically charged. Whereas like this, I you, you're you changing the story if you take out the romance. Like it's not, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? And and I'm not saying yeah. that we can't have two different types of this romance isn't key, but I guess comparing it to that, I I feel like, I don't think the romance is key to the heart of this story, but I also feel like it's wedged its way. And if we take it out, there's going to be a gaping hole.
0: Right. And I'm just trying to think of how it really fits in the canon at large, just because at this point we're four movies in. uh, So we're kind of, you know, catching a shape of in this, super uh, heteronormative structure that we've kind of fallen into by nature of the genre. Boy and girl meet boy and girl kind of fall together in a way that you wouldn't anticipate because, you know, you have rival bookstore owners with You've Got Mail. You have uh, stumbling upon this musician, this melody-creating musician stumbles upon this lyricist. You have rich man falls for sex worker you know these sort of diametrically opposed pairings seem kind of quintessential to classic rom-com you know and how it fits into a canon and i don't think that this quite captures that student teacher they're not diametrically opposed groups it's a it's a position of power yeah and so i think that this one also really just kind of doesn't even really situate well into your standard canon that we've kind of developed so far in the viewings in terms of the pairing it doesn't quite mesh there I was going to say is there any moment where there's legitimate strength from the female character because we see, you know, a bit of fight in Kathleen Kelly. We see, uh, you know, some pushback from uh, Drew Barrymore's character in Music and Lyrics. We see, you know, Major Sass from uh, Julia Roberts' character in Pretty Woman. And I don't feel like there was ever a moment of true confidence and development, maybe other than just like her sort of breakdown at prom. But that's just her getting fed up that it didn't feel like a strengthening of her character, especially with how it ends up where she's on a pitcher's mound, hoping that this guy shows up to give her the vindication and validation that she needs. I
1: I wouldn't say that there is at all.
0: So with that, I want to know, how do we fix this, Chelsea? How do we take this mangled heap and fix it?
1: Okay, I'm going to be real honest. I finished watching this movie and I went, this is unsalvageable. We just need to light it on fire, take the ashes, put them in an iron trunk, and sink it to the bottom of the ocean. That is the only way to rid this world.
0: I forgot, Chelsea, um, we haven't actually done an ad break this episode, but that's because (laughs) we were waiting for this really special sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Casual Arson. (laughs) uh if you use promo code love at first screening uh you will get a starter pack of uh baggie of dryer lint uh, along with um some kerosene and some branded lighters with lafs inscribed on them they're the nice zippo ones that you know you like flip open and you click it very fancy very bougie um, so yeah, thank you. Thank you for taking that moment to introduce our sponsor. Yeah. With that. It was a
1: great, yeah. So I had a further think on it, and I, I think that I, I, we're not going to make this movie look the best, but I think we <laughs> can definitely make it not as vomit inducing. I, I think we can make it so that you don't feel like you're watching a crime happen.
0: Okay. How are we getting around the statutory rape here? Okay.
1: So I'm going to start with that fix. Mr. Teacher Guy has to find out that she is an adult way early in the plot. I'm talking, I'm honestly, I think when it has to be is instead of having this awkward interaction with his girlfriend at the bar scene. And instead of her being there because she's trying to like get in with the cool crowd, she's going to have like a a night out with some of her colleagues. They're going to be at a bar that's 21 and up. He's going to walk in because he's there for the band. He can be with his girlfriend. I don't care. I honestly think we just need to get rid of her because I don't think that's adding anything of substance to the plot. But that's a different issue. He's going to see who he believes is his 17-year-old student. Because I believe up until that point, all of their interactions had been in the classroom, like, during English class. We hadn't seen anything else. So this is pretty early on, okay? He sees who he thinks is his 17-year-old student as a upstanding person. person, uh, educator, he would be like, I at least need to get this kid to go home.
0: No, she's holding a cosmopolitan yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So she's, because she's obviously 25, so, and then he approaches her, and then at this moment, she comes clean. Now, we have to change some other things to get, because then the issue I bumped up against was, well, then, also as a responsible educator, he should be reporting her to his superiors to be like there's a 25 year old that's enrolled in classes for a, a story um the safety of our children maybe is not uh, like maybe is in question um right so yeah. we need her to be working on a story that he cares about and something so i think maybe probably what would tie in best is a story about like bullying or something it could be something i i, I i'm i'm open to other ideas but that's my idea so this was one of my other fixes is that she goes in for a specific story instead of this wish-washy, what are kids even up to these days? Because that was just a bad idea for the What
0: are teens?
1: Yeah. What are the youths doing? When he, when she, so he's going to turn her in. She's like, no, I'm writing this story. She has the person, I think bullying works because she obviously was bullied. She has that background. He is in the school, has probably seen things. Maybe he's tried to, like, get a program started or he's tried to make faculty aware of these things and hasn't gotten a lot of places. So he thinks, all right, maybe if I uh, let her do this, let her expose what's happening and the nuances of this, real change is going to happen. And so he makes the decision to let her stay. But now that everything's out in the open... As they start interacting with each other, you don't have this, he thinks she's 17. Instead, it's all through the lens of, now, now, A, I've also given them a chance to spend more time together because maybe he's going to help her, like, work on this story together. Yeah. I think that offers more opportunity to have this romance be not creepy. (laughs) Uh, Because honestly, that's, like, one of the biggest problems with this film. So we're going to fix that. We're going to, yeah, he's going to find out. I think that would be a good moment is the bar scene. I think that's the perfect time for him to find out. And I think that having her work on something specific gives him the motivation to not turn her in. This is also going to fix the like third act breakup that like makes no sense in this film. Like the, the prom scene, like, and he storms away angry because, oh, I thought I was in love with a 17 year old. Like, I'm sorry. Do you want to just feel sorry for yourself for being a creep. I don't like it. So instead, because we've gotten rid of that, that uh, hurdle, the third act breakup will be similar, but instead it'll come at the expense because I don't feel like there's any real stakes. So instead the stakes we're giving is that they want the truth to come out about whatever this story is. And also he could get in real trouble if he doesn't report the fact that there's this adult woman attending high school as a student that does right. So when she confesses also, I think that there's a undercover person from a different cause the Chicago Chicago Tribune seems to be their like nemesis paper. It's like the their competing mm-hmm. paper. They've done these stories, like they get to the whatever they, the court or whatever, the drug parking lot thing. They get to it first. So I think at prom when she has this big outcry like I'm fed up and I'm blowing my cover their undercover reporter reports on it. He gets fired. And those are the stakes. And so now she's got to make it better. And Mm -hmm. so I think that her final article apology is actually a, I'm sorry that you got fired. I'm sorry that I asked you to do this thing and compromise your integrity. But also in that maybe he gets another job somewhere, you know, Not at a high school, but, you know, like maybe he becomes like a professor somewhere or maybe he gets, I don't know, he gets some other kind of job out of it. I think that that's like a nice resolution. You know, we can definitely polish all of that, but those are sort of my fixes for this. We're going to make the story specific. We're going to let him in on this early on. And the third act breakup will be about him losing his job instead of him being Butt hurt that he thought he was in love with the 17 year old, but actually she's 25 um, because yeah. that's just weird. I, I don't think it makes it a perfect film. I'm sure we could make more, cha- we could definitely make more changes. <laughs> that's, that's what I've come up with.
0: I think that sounds great. Yeah. Cause I mean like you could have, you could give him like a positive spin. If he goes into like education reform, he becomes like a lobbyist or something for education reform. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think that sounds great that those are all fixes that would make this movie watchable uh, because I mean, when I when I proposed this, this wasn't one that I've seen like a million times over. I probably watched it a couple times when I was younger, you know, if it was on that sort of thing. But my God, it needs a facelift. OK,
1: and this is completely random, but I felt like there was a missing storyline. Her friend, her nerd friend, Aldis, when they drive by the drug parking lot, guy, the popular guy, they have a very intense stare down that would suggest some kind of relationship. And in that moment, I originally thought that maybe they were siblings or something. Mm, And he's like, oh, annoying younger sister. But then Mm -hmm. obviously at the prom, that's not what the case is. So I'm like, they used to be... I feel like there was something that was cut out of the movie because all of the times they interact with each other, I feel like there's something there that just is never explained. And honestly, again, there were so many other problems with this film, but like that was something that stuck out to me. I was like, what is going on with these two?
0: No, because we don't get the background of why they like have nicknamed her after dog food, at least not from what I remember, right? There was no context for the nickname. And I think that she's supposed to be a mirror, uh, maybe more like a self-aware mirror of Josie, you know, having such a big crush on Billy, the popular guy. I think that maybe it's supposed to mirror that, but instead of just being so blindly obsessed with him, she's fake critical of him. Like, ugh, I can't stand him. And it's like secretly like doodling his name over and over again in her notebook. Um, But one, it doesn't fit the character that they developed there to have her like have this... Long pining crush for the asshole, because she knows he's an asshole and admits it. That's one thing that Drew Barrymore's younger self didn't do, and she didn't acknowledge that the popular guy that she had a crush on was a massive asshole. And Aldis does. Well, okay. And my other
1: thing with Aldis, and and this is not a this is not a like a a problem that's specific to this film. She's a a nerd, but she's the type of nerd that, like, there's all the memes, like, oh, but if she takes off her glasses, she's beautiful. Like, this actress is an attractive woman. So it's hard, especially when, and this is where I have a problem with this film, is that Josie Grossi, this character that, like, she's just so unappealing, it's not just that she's a nerd. Like, it's like she's never washed her hair and doesn't own a comb and, like, is wearing all these frumpy outfits and, and
0: has, the has braces,
1: has braces like so. I have it's like, well, well why? If the reason Aldi's is so unappealing is because she's a you know a brain, then why is that not enough for Josie? Because either mm-hmm. you're gonna bully, I mean, the truth is, people get bullied both for like their interests and their looks, like, but. Why does she need both? I guess like I it's like either and then and then why does the the current brain get to be this like gorgeous person? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, in-
0: we can't root for someone we don't find conventionally attractive. Clearly, that's that's the message there. <laughs> Uh, but yeah no it doesn't it doesn't make sense in a lot of ways to have like on of course on the surface it makes sense to have all mirror young Josie uh, just in that they're both you know the nerdy outcast blah 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 but I also want to say that we only see Josie young Josie interact with one friend in school right so maybe she just has like this one friend but Aldiz has like this whole group of friends You know, she has her calculus club and she, she has like a good solid friend group. I mean, shit, there were so many of them. But yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense for Aldis to mirror Josie in just the fact that we see Josie with exactly one friend through all of the cutbacks and Aldis has a good friend group. She has her nerdy calculus friends. She has this whole group, you know, so it doesn't. They're not proper, you know, parallels to one another. It really then further undercuts the lack of explanation of issues between Aldis and Guy. So, well, I would ask you what the crimes against women are. I think we, I think, we, I
1: think this whole episode has just been what are the crimes you don't even need the because honestly this this is crimes against children is what these <laughs> are
0: yeah because she also goes to prom with guys
1: yeah 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 oh yeah I don't want to absolve like jo- no like she also goes to prom with with a 17 year olds so That's
0: so weird
1: well this has been a a, a a probably one of our longer episodes and it's uh, uh, we'll just we'll title the episode Crimes against children.
0: Yes, perfect. Perfect. Um, So what's our watchability score for this? Uh, We'll go through it.
1: For those of you who are new here, hi and welcome. Uh, We like to rate these episodes uh, following a model like Zillow's walkability score. Uh, It's a one to five scale with one being stranded in the desert and five being best coffee downstairs downstairs. And in the middle, we have Backroads Barbecue at two. Strip Mall and Suburbia at three. And four is four blocks from a transit stop. So, and I'm going through this real quick because it's, we're stranded in the desert. There's, I, I, yeah. This is a one.
0: I wish that we had a lower score.
1: Yeah. It's a wasteland.
0: (laughs) It's so T.S. Eliot. Absolute wasteland out here it doesn't fit into the canon well in terms of the dynamics of the characters it's just one giant crime against children it completely destroys um the what we i hold most sacred as uh the hot english teacher i'm sorry that is something that should be held sacred and they ruined it yeah you you go to a bar and you meet some guy and find out he's a hot English teacher. You don't- you're not a student. That's just fucking weird. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so we're so stranded in the desert, we're gonna die out there.
1: Exactly. No food, no water. Just a very hot sun that's baking <laughs> our skin.
0: We can have a pet lizard out there, but only because it's gonna eat us once we're done cooking.
1: True. All right, Madison. Would you like to tell the lovely listeners where they can find us on the internet?
0: Oh my god, would I? Okay. So, guys. We are everywhere. If you want to reach out to us directly, shoot us an email and tell us everything we got right. Uh, <laughs> hit us up at love@firstscreening@gmail.com. at, first screening at If you want to hit us up on the Twitter, uh, hit us up. Our handle is at the t-h-e laughs l-a-f-s pod p-o-d so at the laughs pod and if you want to see us on instagram uh, you can find us at love at first screening
1: and we will be here every wednesday talking about romantic comedies that you love or love to hate
0: and on that note tune in next week We're going to Alabama for Sweet Home Alabama with the beloved Reese Witherspoon. So hang in, watch it, you know, and then tune in. And I look forward to it.
1: All right. And with that, until next time.